Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green. I'm the host of Faith Seeking Understanding, and here we are. It is Easter. It is the most glorious day, not just of the church year, but of any year, every year. Easter changes everything. That's going to be the theme of what I have to say today is Easter changes everything. A world with Easter is different from any world without Easter. So in our lessons, um, we would read from uh, Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. It's Peter at the home of Cornelius, and, and it's the background where he tells him sort of the gospel in about 10 verses. He tells the people gathered there the gospel. Essentially, he just gives the history of what Jesus did and uh, that he went around doing good, and, and then the Spirit falls, and the rest is history as far as Gentiles are concerned. And then we would read a gospel, and the gospel that we have today, and I'm going to reflect on multiple gospels, actually, some multiple thoughts that are in other gospels. John's the last gospel that's written. And so John doesn't give us some of the details and some of the stories that are in what are known as the synoptic gospels, those Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John knows those exist, so he skips over some of those, and then he writes for a very particular reason, which he actually tells us. And he tells us that it's so that you may believe these things that, that I've written, I wrote so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John leaves out some of the details because the details are already there. There's no reason for him to rewrite those. So I'm going to read the first 10 verses of John 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John gives us these personal details that only John can give because it's a first-person reflection. It's not that he that nobody else knew what they saw. It's they didn't know what they felt. And John is excited at some level, but we don't even know what that excitement is. And so he's excited when he hears the news that the body's not there, but he's not excited because he believes in resurrection. He's excited because he wants to know what happened. And he outruns Peter. And you can see that Jesus' tomb was, was a cave. And they had rolled a great stone over that cave, and so it's gone. It is not over the door of the tomb. And John looks in, and he sees the cloths lying there. But he didn't go in. Peter, 
who didn't win the race. John tells us that twice or three times, actually, in that little passage. John apparently was proud of his running prowess. Peter goes in and he sees the same thing John sees, but he sees a detail that John didn't notice because John just said he saw the linen cloths lying there. Peter saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. And it was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. I would encourage you to look up the napkin. Google that because it's a, a tender, it is finished sort of a moment when everything was done. The cloths were just lying there, but the face cloth, the thing that bound his head, had been folded neatly and was lying apart and in a place by itself. It is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. And what the folded napkin face cloth means is the resurrection is finished as well. So John gives us the details that he saw. And then when Peter goes in, he gives us this additional detail of the face cloth by itself, which means that it would have been the last thing removed and then carefully folded and set aside by itself. And then at that point, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first again, also went in and he saw and believed. What did he believe? I don't think there's any way we could possibly say, because what it says is, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their rooms, homes. They went to Galilee. They didn't have a home in Jerusalem. They went home. They went to Galilee, and it was only later that Mary Magdalene sees the risen Lord and tells them to go to Galilee. Resurrection morning is an amazing thing. There's something entirely different about that morning than any other. You first, in, in some of the other Gospels, what you get is, is that there were at least two, possibly three, at the tomb. There were two Marys, and in one case, Salome joins them. We're not told who Salome is. But there's an odd detail about the burial of Jesus that's repeated in all three of those other Gospels. And that is at the time, Joseph Arimathea, the man from Arimathea, takes the body of Jesus after the crucifixion, after they take it down off the cross. He does something remarkable. He says, I want that body. He and Nicodemus get the body and they put it in Joseph's tomb. It's a remarkable thing that he does there because affiliating yourself with a criminal who was hanged is to affiliate yourself with an accursed man and he put him in a family tomb. Remarkable for a Jew to go and claim the body of one who had been um, crucified. But he does and he takes Jesus there and he puts a large stone over the tomb and what we're told is is, is that Mary the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene were there. All three Gospels give us that information that those two women were there. They saw the tomb sealed. They went with Jesus to the bitter end to that tomb. 
And then it says they went and prepared the spices that they were going to anoint him with as soon as they could, because the following day was day of preparation and they had to wait until the end of the Sabbath, until the next morning after the Sabbath. And they went first thing in the morning. Can you imagine these women walking through the streets of Jerusalem carrying this enormous load of spices on a journey to go and anoint the body of the one they believed to be the Messiah. They believed the one to be the king of the Jews, the one who would deliver them. And they fully believed right until the moment that he died. And they wanted to see where he was laid. So they knew exactly where Jesus was and they knew exactly where they were going as they walked those streets that morning. Can you imagine the conversation they had? as they remembered the love that he had for them and the love that they had for him. The things they had seen, the things they had heard, the teaching that they had heard from Jesus. The healing of the blind, the lepers, the lame, the deaf, those possessed by demons. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. They surely believed after that, that there was nothing that was too hard for Jesus. As first century Jews, they could recount as they walked through the streets of Jerusalem the miraculous things, not only that Jesus had done there, but that had been done there. They could recount Jewish history as they thought about the deliverance in the Maccabean times, what's celebrated at Hanukkah now, the miracle of light in that moment. They could recount the history all the way back to Genesis, remembering especially the deliverance of God's people, the Jews, from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. The plagues, the incredible events that happened at the Red Sea as God rolled back the waters of the Red Sea and the people of Israel walked across on dry land and then Pharaoh's army charged after them and the waters came back over them and destroyed Pharaoh's army, which brought about the first moment of worship in the history of the Jewish people, the first widespread worship event of Yahweh in world history. They could recount the events of Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, 600,000 plus people hearing the word, hearing the voice of God altogether. This was not a revelation given to one man like Buddha, one man like Muhammad, one man like Naaman. No, this was a revelation given to at least 600,000 people all at once. They can remember God's provision in the wilderness of manna, miraculous provision of water on multiple occasions. They could remember that those 40 years, their clothes did not wear out. And God protected them from their enemies all that time. Remember also the conquest of the land as they came into the land that God had promised to their forefathers hundreds of years before, the glory days of Israel, the glory days of David, the glory days of Solomon, the checkered history that followed all of that. And then the prophets losing the land, being taken captive into Babylon, the divided kingdom, 10 tribes lost. Ezra and Nehemiah restoring the temple, restoring the city of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's rule. 
they could remember all of those things. And then suddenly, 400 years before, silence. Silence. No prophets arose for 400 years. And they had to be remembering all these things as they walked through the city and as they walked past the temple. They surely knew the stories. They knew the story probably of when Zechariah went into the temple to light the candles and was met there by an archangel and came out unable to speak because he had been told that his son in his old age would come and he would deliver the people. He would be the precursor to Messiah. He would be the Elijah that Malachi said that would come first. Everybody saw when he came out. They knew what had happened. He had to write it out. And so they watched as Elizabeth got pregnant in her old age and gave birth. And at the same time, there was a story that was told of Elizabeth's kinsman, Mary, who was a virgin, who was betrothed to a man named Joseph, who suddenly had an encounter, she said, with God, and she became pregnant with child, still a virgin. Then they knew about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, the city of David, forced to go there because of the census by the Roman governor born in a manger and then hidden it seems for 30 years or so and then suddenly bursts onto the scene teaching in ways that the synagogue rulers and others knew were with power even people like Nicodemus the Pharisee said we know you're a teacher come from God in a world that had been quiet and silent and dark With God's silence, suddenly things happened all the time. A world that had been quiet, the world that had been predictable and mundane, suddenly became pregnant with possibilities in this remote backwater of the Roman Empire. Because there was this man, Jesus, who suddenly began to do and say things that were revolutionary. He did healings of people who had been ill and suffering for decades and decades. People who had no hope, whose hope had completely left them. He began to reach out to odd people groups, those Samaritans out there that everybody hated. He began to touch lives and lives began to change. He would go across the water to the land of the Gerasene, a place where the Jews thought one of the gates of hell was. And he went directly to the gates of hell and he stormed the gates of hell. He went there for one man who was beset by demons. That man was so beset by demons that he was cutting himself constantly. They chained him and he would break the chains. No one would go near him. And Jesus went to him. The man that everybody feared 
and he delivered him from those demons. And he said, you stay here as a witness to them. The people there were so afraid of the power that Jesus had to set that man free. They begged him to leave that day. And Jesus, the man wanted to come with him. And Jesus said, no, you stay here as a witness. They may have gotten rid of Jesus, but they didn't get rid of that man with his witness for what he had done. They knew when they saw him, the power of God set him free. There were people all over that region and beyond who knew what Jesus had done. The world was changing. There were possibilities no one had conceived before Jesus comes onto the scene. And these women were surely thinking through all of this. They had to be thinking through Jewish history. They had to be thinking through the history of Jesus because what they were thinking about was what happened. We had these hopes, and our hopes were built on the word of God. They were built on promises God had made to our forefathers. They were built on the promises that were given to David, that there would always be one sitting on that throne. They were banking on the promises from Isaiah when they see the suffering servant, when they see the one who will come and will, will do all these things, setting the prisoners free, healing people, setting the captives free, all that stuff. They saw all those things. And they had come to believe more and more and more. And at the, at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, you know that from that point forward, they believed completely that there was nothing Jesus couldn't do. But on Good Friday, as they watched him die on a cross, they watched the man who had been beaten bloody on that cross with that crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his entire body. Then the, the, the agony of the crucifixion and ultimately the spear thrust into his side when the blood and the water came out and all hope was gone. And those two Marys, though, they went to that tomb. They went there. They saw that huge stone rolled over. They heard later, as we hear in Matthew, that the Jews were so concerned that the disciples were going to steal the body that they talked the Roman governor into setting a guard outside the tomb to make sure no one came to steal that body. They sealed that rock that had just been rolled over. They knew. They had seen Jesus. They had seen the man that they had loved. They had seen this man marred beyond recognition from the scourging Pilate had given him. They knew it was over. When Jesus said it was finished, that surely to them said more than even he was saying. They meant their hopes were finished. Everything was finished. Surely this one was the Messiah and this would not end this way. And they prepared the spices and they waited. They waited that long Sabbath. Others might have gone to the temple. There might have been worship, but not for these women, not for the disciples. They dare not show their faces. So on that Sunday morning, the first day of the week, as soon as they could, as soon as it was light, they began their errand to go do final service to the man that they had believed was the Messiah, the Son of God. They loved him to the end and they loved him through the end and then they arrive 
to find the guards dazed, a young man, an angel sitting there, and the stone rolled away. And a man telling them he's not here. What we hear in John's gospel is they couldn't believe that. They believed a lie, but they didn't believe in resurrection. None of the people in the scene believed in resurrection. I've made this point before that who are the first people we know didn't believe in a virgin birth? Mary and Joseph. Mary said, how can such things be? Joseph had determined to put her away. But nobody in the scene of resurrection, nobody that we meet on the day of resurrection believes in resurrection. They believed in Jesus. They had no earthly idea who he truly was, what it meant for him to be the son of God, what it meant to be him, him to be truly man and truly God. He could resurrect anybody, but who would resurrect Jesus? All hope was gone. And so when they meet Jesus, when Mary meets him there, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener and she doesn't recognize him until he says her name. And it's only at that point that Mary looks and says, Rabboni, and she falls at his feet and worships him there. Why didn't she recognize him? Because he didn't look like the man she saw on that cross. She disbelieved for joy. She did not believe it was possible for Jesus to have come back from the dead. The people on the road to Emmaus tell the same story. They tell the story to Jesus himself. They don't recognize him until he breaks bread and blesses it. And they see him then. Nobody who saw him that Friday could have recognized him that Sunday. But not only could they not have recognized him, they didn't recognize him because they were not prepared for an encounter with a risen Jesus. Because it had never happened. No one had ever heard of such a thing. It was different from the resurrection of Lazarus because somebody brought Lazarus back from the dead. But who brought Jesus back from the dead? His power didn't die with his body. His power was power of resurrection and it brought him back from the dead. And nobody believed it. We know that Thomas didn't even believe it for a week, even though the other 10 guys told him, we have seen him. Thomas didn't believe it until I touched the nail holes, until I put my hand into his side where the spear was. I will not believe. Jesus shows up and says, come here. People didn't believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. They were not gullible people. They knew a man who died on a cross didn't come back looking like that three days later. No, they didn't. Nobody believed it. Nobody believed it when they saw it. John says they looked in and they believed, but they didn't understand that he had to be resurrected from the dead and they went to their homes. Really? If you believed Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, if you believed that was the expl explanation for an empty tomb burial cloths, and a folded napkin. What you don't do is just go home. But it's what they did. They went home. They believed. But John doesn't say, here's what I believed. He tells us he went home. But that's not the end of the story. Luke is so enamored with what he's heard later he decides to write two things. He decides to write a gospel and he decides to write something else. And that's the Acts of the Apostles. And it's because it didn't stop 
the stuff Jesus did. He said, greater things than these will you do, and they did. It didn't end with Jesus. The power that allowed him to do all those things was the power that resurrected him from the dead. And then it's the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out on his church, on those who believe, and they continue the work that Jesus does and they continue it to this day. But all those guys, remember Good Friday? We talked about Peter being afraid, wouldn't acknowledge Jesus before servant girls in the courtyard of the high priest. Yeah, that same guy on the day of Pentecost, preaches a powerful, powerful sermon to all the Jews who gather there. Later, when he goes before the high priest himself, the high priest tells him to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And his response is, there's no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. Are you serious? You're telling me not to preach in the one in the name of the one who was resurrected from the dead? Get a grip. Get a clue, because here's why. Everything changed. Before, before the resurrection, Jesus could do all things, and everybody believed that he could do all things because so they'd seen him do all things. They believed in all kinds of things because they'd seen all kinds of things, and their ancestors had seen all kinds of things. They'd seen the plagues. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen so many miracles throughout the course of history that had been recorded, and they knew that God could do anything. But resurrection, that's a different thing. And a world with resurrection is different from a world without resurrection. When resurrection happened, everybody's horizons got larger and wider. They believed anything was possible for God working through them. And so John and Peter come to the beautiful gate at the temple, and there's a man there who has been lame and paralyzed. And Peter looks at him and he says, uh-huh, I remember this. He said, I don't have any gold and silver, but this is what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. And the man got up and in a minute he's leaping. The man who'd been paralyzed all his life. Peter knew, yep, the power that's in me is the power that was in Jesus. And it was the power of resurrection. And the world of resurrection is a different world, pregnant with way different possibilities. Anything is possible to those who believe. And Peter says, I believe. A world of resurrection is a world of difference. If you believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, ascended 40 days later, sits at the right hand of God on high, and 10 days after that ascension, that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and you're walking in fear right now, you're walking in doubt. You're walking in disbelief. You're under your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances might be, if you don't have hope, then you don't understand resurrection. You don't understand how that changes everything. That nothing is impossible for God. Literally nothing. If you believe those things, it's because the Holy Spirit has been given to you. You are God's child. You need more. You need more of him. You need more of truth in your life. You need to recognize and embrace. You're a child of the living God who resurrected his son from the dead and who poured out that same spirit in you and wants to pour it out through you. We have to be better vessels. And the only way we can be better vessels is it's hard right now during the coronavirus is 
not to take that news just to our homes. It's to take it to the world because we have that power. We have that joy. We have a hope that is certain because it didn't die with Jesus. It came back three days later. A world of resurrection is a world that should drive us out of our beds every single day, wondering what God might do this day if I yield myself to him and if I believe in him completely. What can I see him do today? A world of resurrection is different from a world prior to resurrection because we don't just hope that all things are possible. We know they are. And so we of all people should be more delighted to greet each and every day as an opportunity to see God do something new in me and God do something new through me and God do something new through every single person that I know who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day that we don't go to our homes and tell nobody. It's a day when we go into the world and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I hope you have an incredibly blessed Easter day and that the Lord blesses you mightily today with new hope and new joy. In the name of Jesus.